God, thank you for your justice, your power, your mercy, your love, your grace. Thank you for your wisdom. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts this morning be entirely yours. And in the places where they may fall short or err, help us to try again tomorrow, led by your spirit and the knowledge that love covers a multitude of sins and is offered to us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been working through 1 Peter all month, and it's um, a funny, beautiful book. And one of the things that I love about it for this time, um, for me as a Christian in any time and in any place, is that it talks about how hard it is to live differently, which is one of the things that I think Jesus is always calling us to do. Uh, Peter talks a lot in this passage about suffering, about joining Christ in Christ's suffering. Um, But something that is uh, easy to forget is that the, the persecutions haven't even started happening when Peter is writing this letter. People aren't dying yet for being Christians. It's simply deeply uncomfortable. It's, it's really strange to live a different kind of life than the other people in your town. To have them um, not understand why you do what you do, uh, to have them be angry that you're not following the normal rules, that you've made a change, that you're doing something uh, that they're not used to, that you aren't the person they grew up with, right? The, the discomfort is mostly social that the church that Peter is writing to is experiencing, but that makes it no less a form of suffering, right? That when we are trying hard to be good or to be better or to know God or to try new things, when the world or um, our community sees that only as interfering, right? (laughs) As a disruption of their way, uh, it's hard. It, It can cause us suffering. And more than that, I think um, trying, to, trying to be different is hard. <laughs> trying to change is hard. Trying to be more loving than we were yesterday is hard. Trying to be more kind than we were yesterday is hard. Because life is hard. <laughs> um, I always say, if, if there's one thing I have learned being a pastor, so the greatest gift of being a pastor, in many ways, it's being a pastor of a church is like being a member of that church, right? All of us are called into leadership. All of us are called into the service of God. All of us are called into prayer and discipleship and fun and social life. Um, The only thing different about being the pastor is that I get to know all of you instead of just some of you. (laughs) Um, And what I have learned through doing that in multiple places is that everyone is carrying something with them. I have yet to have a conversation of more than 10 minutes with anyone who's being remotely honest where they aren't in pain about something, right? It's not that they're not also in joy about things, in celebration about things. It's not that they don't also have good things going on in their life, but all of us have lost something or someone or are confused about what happens next or aren't sure that we made the right choice or thought that our life would be different. than it is or hope that it will be different in the future. And life is hard. And so to put on top of that, trying to be different than our instincts tell us to be, I think um, 
part of the hard part about this passage is that it names as sin some of the things that are most likely to have been used against us, right? The, the drunkenness and the orgies and sort of like big dramatic things that we sort of think, um, why is it wrong to have fun? Why is it wrong to be with my friends, right? But I, I think if we think of like getting wasted all the time instead of facing your feelings and like being who you want to be, right? Um, losing yourself in uh, sexual attraction rather than trying to figure out what kind of life you want to live, what kind of partnership you want to have. Losing yourself in, in the things of the world that are of a moment instead of in who you want to be, it becomes a little more understandable, right? Why these things get in the way. It's hard to try and be different than the world teaches us. And one of the things that, that our instincts teach us to do is to group up, not to be inclusive, right? They teach us to be inclusive in language, but not inclusive in action, which is why I think uh, for all of the same reasons that Peter's church found difficulty in living up to who they wanted to be, we find difficulty in living up to who we want to be. Um, and inclusive, this part of our mission, is something that we both never are and are always trying for, and that most churches never are and are always trying for, some better than others, and that people have learned to mistrust. So this is why I think I get the most questions about the word inclusive. Um, because people have had really negative and poor experiences. I can't tell you the number of times. We have pictures on our website of us, of the four pastors uh, and other people who've gotten ordained um, officiating weddings of same-sex couples, right? We have pictures on there. We still, at least once a month or once every two months, get calls saying, is that for real or do you just say you're welcoming and then if we actually come to you for premarital counseling, you won't do it, right? Um, because that's what people are used to, right? They're used to it sort of being a word and not a practice. Um, and so we get questions. And so for this sermon, I just want to walk you through the questions that I get about inclusivity and where I think we're at on them with a little bit of reference to Peter. So the first question is, what does inclusive mean? Because <laughs> not everybody uses this word. Uh, and to me, what inclusive means is best from the, the part of the Peter passage that says, open your homes to one another, right? Um, it's not just that you develop a really fun thing in a place and you say to each other, you know, anyone who came here would totally be welcome. It's that you go out and you find people and you say, hey, you know, if you're looking for a place, my home would be open to you. It's actively including people. Um, not against their will, right? We don't force them to come into our home, but to say our home is a place that is hospitable. Our home is a place that's for everyone. Inclusive just means that we want to include anyone who wants to be included. And there are limits to that that we'll talk about later. That's one of the big questions that I get. Um, but inclusive is simply the notion that we want to be active about recognizing that all people are made by God and we want all of them to feel welcome in this community. So the second question, we're getting a little more complicated here, is is inclusive different from welcoming? Is inclusive different from welcoming? And this is why I think I get all of those calls. Um, at some point I was a part of some intercultural groups that met on a, on a college campus and I decided that I was done with the word tolerant because I was over being tolerated. <laughs> uh, that didn't do it for me anymore. <laughs> um, toleration is great 
for public civic spaces, right, where we like are legally obligated to acknowledge one another and we have to have like a basic sense of peace. It's not, it does not rise to the standard that Peter and God offer us here of constant love for one another. Because toleration is not love. You are, I won't, uh, I won't beat you up or make your life illegal is not the same as love. <laughs> uh, the, like, these things seem clear, but they're not, apparently, right? Um, because we have a lot of people out there defining welcoming towards all kinds of groups and all kinds of people as I will not negatively respond to you instead of I will actively love you. Because love requires curiosity. It requires asking, what would it take for you to feel included? Is there something that we have missed, right? Is there something um, more that we don't know about? Uh, being actively included says all of who you are is valuable, right? Um, not perfect, but valuable. God created. And, and welcoming and toleration, I think, are good standards for, like, a political community that just wants everyone to be safe, they're not great standards for a church that wants to be a source of constant love. And that's, I think, what we want, to be a source of constant love. Um, so it's not that those things are bad, it's that we're seeking something more when we say that we're inclusive. We're seeking to be something more to people. So the third question, we're upping the degree of difficulty here, does inclusive mean that we are all the same? This one is one that no one has ever actually asked me literally, but they ask me frequently with the other things that we discuss. And I think we've gotten confused a little bit in the Christian church, um, all of us, between unity and uniformity, right? Unity and uniformity. What does it mean to be one house, one church, versus what does it mean to, um, say that we all have to desire the same things, have the same things, be the same thing, want the same thing. How do we combine diversity and unity, being a part of one community while acknowledging that we are different and that's not something to be overcome or to be combated, but to be lived into? Uh, I, I'm not calling anyone out because I do this too. There's a really automatic impulse to say, no matter who you are, right, and then list, no matter who you are, someone who grew up evangelical, Catholic, Pentecostal, whatever, no matter who you are, someone who is black, white, Asian, Latino, um, no matter who you are, and I fall into that as well, uh, but if we're going to listen to God, if we're going to listen to what God says in this passage about every gift being valuable and every gift being necessary for the community and all of us needing to serve, that's not actually that's not actually what it is. It's not no matter, it's because of. <laughs> because of who you are, because of who you have been made to be, because of who God made you to be, you have gifts that this community needs. You have a presence, both spiritual, practical, uh, ministry-wise, that this church needs, and we would be less without you. We would be less without the parts of who you are that you bring. There's no one that God didn't make. This, at the end of the day for me, is, is the, the animating spirit behind inclusion, is there's no one who God didn't create. There's no one who God didn't make. And if we are seeking to reflect the body of Christ, 
We are seeking to, as much as possible, be a place that can be changed and grown by the gifts that each person has. Seen as gifts, seen as things of value, not seen as things that we get over, put up with, or can stand. A few months ago, we had, um, for the first time, a, a family Advent devotional. We're also going to have one during Lent for parents with kids because uh, kids uh, have a hard time with like sermons, right? And some traditional parts of the worship service. It's not easy for them. And someone said to me, um, is that limited? to just people with kids, and is that not inclusive, right? Is it not inclusive to have subgroups uh, within the church that not everyone is a part of? And I understand where people are coming from with that, right? We get nervous when we think about separation. We get nervous when we think about segregation. Um, but there's a way of saying what a church needs to be is a place where everyone can feel totally at home and stretched to be a part of a home that includes everybody. So we have a lot of kinds of diversity within this community. We have diversity of race, diversity of sexual orientation, all of those diversities you're thinking of. But we also have diversities of places where you are in your spiritual life, things that you're interested in talking about and thinking about, uh, things that you want to do in the world, right? Some of you are really motivated by community service. Others of you are really motivated um, by like eating meals together, doing a communion fellowship. We do not have to decide one right way to be a Christian and then all get on board with it in order to be inclusive. We have to make sure that our community is a place where there are times we gather all together and there are times when each of us feel totally fed in exactly who we are. Exactly who we are. And that might mean we have had, right, uh, gay men's Bible studies. We have had people of color caucus groups. We have had spiritual groups that are specifically for college students to meet together. Those aren't anti-inclusive, those are pro-inclusive <laughs> because they allow people to feel held in the particular place in their spiritual life where they are and then all of those groups come together in one place, which is often our Sunday morning corporate worship, to learn from each other and those places where we are. And I say that to you, um, it may seem really obvious, but I think some of us have been feeling trapped or captured. That if we ever want something that not everyone in the community wants, it's not okay, right? That's like not the, the, the culture or the vibe, but I say to you, it is. Sometimes you will need things that the rest of your community doesn't need. Build them, develop them, ask for them, that's good, right? That's a good thing. That's the spirit working in you. Does inclusive just mean gay friendly? Uh, I get this one a lot. Yeah, oh yeah, right? Um, well, is inclusive code for gay friendly, basically, right? Like, is that what it means? It does mean that, right? But it also means a lot of other things <laughs> that we can leave off the list. Um, so it means gay friendly, but all, I mean, even just within the queer community, right? It also means that we are trans friendly, which requires different kinds of practices and different kinds of culture and different kinds of history um, to welcome all of God's people in. One of the things that Urban Village has been realizing is that um, being rooted in any community that has experienced the same marginalization that Christ experiences means that all kinds of people start to come to you who have felt left out, who have felt fringy and on the edge for every kind of reason. Right? For some of us, it's because we were question askers. We were always the person in uh, Sunday school right, who was like, but how did they fit all the animals on the boat? Right? And people would get mad at us about that. People didn't like that. Um, or some of us um, 
were right, left out of communities of all kinds for our creative identity, or some of us just felt like we wanted to be more honest about our struggles, about what we had been through. And, and sometimes church felt like a place where we had to be perfect or fancy or look good, right? Um, once you have a lot of a community who knows what it is to be marginalized, you get people from all kinds of communities. Um, and so I think an honest truth about Urban Village is that we were really rooted at the beginning in being a church that served um, queer Christians around the city who had not had a place to be. And we were majority white and mostly white. And when people of color started coming, um, they sometimes found the same welcome that white queer people felt, and they sometimes didn't in our community, right? Um, that there were aspects of our worship, of our leadership making decisions, where people were less confident about whether we were fully anti-racist, whether we were fully committed to being multicultural. And so we're doing an audit, right? We're like looking at our practices and we're actively asking, what do we need to change? How do we need to be different? How can we change our leadership practices so that everyone feels included and welcome? That's gonna be a long process, but the fact that we're in it, I'm proud of. This is also where some of the spiritual and music stuff comes from, right? Inclusive means all the stages of life. Inclusive means all the stages of spiritual development. And inclusive means um, what spiritually touches your heart, too. So some of you may have noticed that in the boxes on the tear-offs, and I'd encourage you to fill this out if you haven't before, we've started the last month or two asking, what's a song you would love to hear from the band? And we do that because most of us grew up in really different kinds of environments. I grew up non-religious. Um, so the songs that got me through hard times uh, were often like pop songs, right? Um, or uh, Motown songs that my parents were playing. Those are the things that I reflect on when I think about the times when God was in my life and I didn't even know it yet, right? Those are the things that make me feel that conviction. Other folks probably grew up hearing um, maybe a lot of like Chris Smith all the time, right? And like that's what makes you feel really, really at home. Other people maybe you heard almost nothing except uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, right? And like those are the kinds of songs that make you feel most at home. Some of you may have not recognized any of the words that I've said so far because you grew up with something totally different. Um, some of you love organs and some of you love guitars and we're never gonna be all of those things simultaneously, but we can be more of those things than we currently are. We can be more of those things than we currently are. And um, because everyone deserves to feel at home sometimes. And here's the trick that we're gonna get to in our next couple of questions, which is, um, uh, so I'm actually gonna skip one. So something happened in worship that really bothered me. <laughs> Why aren't you being inclusive? <laughs> um, being inclusive means all of us should feel totally comfortable sometimes and totally uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we should feel totally comfortable all the time. Because if we feel totally comfortable all the time, almost by definition, somebody else has been left out, right? Because we have like really limited experiences and really limited knowledge of the world. And God is doing this giant big thing where God has made seven billion people um, and we are just a slice of it. And the great gift of life is that we get to know all of these other slices, that we get to know all of these other things that God has given to people. Um, and if we feel comfortable every minute of every time we're here, it's too tailored to just us, right? That's not big enough. It's not big enough for all the people that there are. And so I think my ideal for worship is that over the course of a year, you have 
several moments where you, let's just talk about music, right? Because this is a source of like conflict in church uh, and our music is really great, I think, so it's like an easy way in. Our music is really beautiful. Um, everyone should hear several times a song that just makes you feel like that is my jam and Jesus is living in my heart and like this is awesome. And whether you express that through your hands being up or through sitting quietly or through like the, you know, speaking in tongues, like however you express that, you should have that feeling multiple times. You should also have the feeling multiple times of like, Ugh, not my style, <laughs> right? Um, because that is how we will know we are doing our job right, to, to hold multiple different kinds of being, Amen. to hold multiple different kinds of God's being. And you are participating in an act of extraordinary and beautiful worship when you sit through a song that is not totally your jam because you know that it is providing that essential spiritual experience for somebody else in the room. You are making, right, a small sacrifice, but a sacrifice because you know that it matters to other people. So know that if you're feeling that, um, you are giving a gift to someone, right? By, you are giving a gift to someone who is different from you by not demanding that everything be yours and that everything be just for you. It is for you and it's for everybody else, <laughs> right? Does this make sense as sort of a, a measure for ourselves? Well, no. So people do, people do say that, but then the, here's another thing that people say that we're going to get into, uh, which is about values. Another thing that people will say is, you talked about politics and it made me uncomfortable because I disagreed with what you said. This is another place where uh, we should disagree. We should absolutely disagree. Uh, and we can't not say anything because life is happening and God cares about justice. And so we're going to make declarations, and we're going to move forward, and we're going to act boldly. And sometimes we're going to be wrong. And if so if you think that the church is wrong about the direction that it's headed, or the stance that it's taken, or the protest that it's gone to, or the community service action, like, you should tell the relevant leader, or committee, or friend, or person that you saw testify, you should tell them that you disagree. Um, but we are going to do stuff, because not doing anything is also not following Jesus, right? And this is, this is, the connection is the discomfort. We should feel uncomfortable sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes, because change is uncomfortable. I don't think the disciples felt comfortable very often, you know? They felt scared all the time. They felt weird all the time. They were jumping in and out of boats and, like, falling asleep on mountains. And discipleship is uncomfortable sometimes. Not all the time, because that's too hard. If you feel uncomfortable all the time and you never feel safe and held, you can't grow. You know, it's too hard to feel uncomfortable all the time, but to feel uncomfortable sometimes is part of the discipleship package. So don't be freaked out if that's how you feel. Don't be scared if that's how you feel. Yeah. And this is the no longer by human desires, right? Our human desires matter, but we are no longer led solely by human desires, but by the desire to be comported with the will of God, which includes all of us. 
we do resist our desires sometimes in order to make a community that feels like Jesus. Um, and it is rough, but it's totally worth it. <laughs> it's just totally worth it, because then you will feel included when other people feel uncomfortable. So here's the last one, um, well, the almost last one. Are there any limits to your inclusivity, right? Peter is pretty clear in this passage, like, discipline yourselves. There are things that aren't right to do. There are things that aren't healthful to do. There are things that aren't joyful to do. Um, but here's where people get confused. There are things that aren't great for us. There are things we can do that aren't helpful for our communities or for ourselves spiritually um, or physically or emotionally. Uh, never does he say, if you see someone who is undisciplined, kick them the hell out, right? That's not the conclusion. The conclusion is discipline yourselves and love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> discipline yourselves and love covers a multitude of sins. There are things that we want to be and we're all going to mess up. You have never been a part of a church where everybody agreed, even if they pretended to. You have never been a church where everybody uh, was living the life that they wanted to live and that they thought was good, even if they pretended to, right? Love gets us through. But there are limits. Um, if someone got up here to testify uh, and said something that I disagreed with, I would sit there and love it and listen to it. If someone got up here to testify and started um, hate speech, right? Um, God hates group of people, wants to destroy group of people. Uh, I would stop that. I wouldn't kick them out of the community, but I would stop that. And I hope that you would too, you know? Um, and maybe we'd have a conversation about it right here together. Maybe we'd stop worship to unpack that. Maybe we wouldn't, right? Maybe we'd do it after. But there are, there are things we wouldn't do. Um, and there are people some of you aren't church nerds, so you don't know this, but a big conversation that happens in seminaries where people want to be inclusive is, what if someone who is uh, stalking one of your members, right? What if someone who is causing harm to one of the members of a church wants to come? Is it uninclusive to not let them? <laughs> of course they shouldn't be allowed to come, okay? We are not the only church in the world. There are a bunch of churches in the world that love Jesus and are wonderful places to worship and are great. And we don't, have to be a place um, where every single person finds their walk in Jesus. In fact, we aren't the right fit for some people. Something I do a lot is find, help people find the church that's right for them when they discover that this isn't. And there are edge cases, right? There are border cases where we would have to do that. I just want to say that because this is something that people ask me about and I want you to know, right? You deserve to feel safe here and we're not the only church in the country. There are others. So finally, <laughs> is inclusion easy? No. This is why Peter says that we're headed for a fiery ordeal. Uh, a fiery ordeal in all aspects of our Jesus-following life. Um, nothing is easy. Being alive isn't easy. Being a community isn't easy. Uh, loving each other isn't easy. Being a family isn't easy. But is it worth it? Yes. Is it what Jesus is asking us to do? Yes. There's something uh, that my husband and I discovered partway through our marriage that I would commend to you if you are in a partnership called the back rub rule, um, which is people give the back rubs that they want to receive. <laughs> people give the back rubs that they want to receive, not the ones that the person who is receiving the back rub wants to receive, right? Do you hear me? So my husband uh, will almost break your spine if you don't give him other direction before you get a back rub from him, right? 
I, uh, if you love that like deep muscle thing, I'm not your girl, right? I like a, I like a softer touch. And we, uh, in the first year, did not understand why we hated giving back rubs to each other so much. And then talked about it. And for those of you who have read the five love languages, you know what our problem was, right? We were giving the gift to the other person that we wanted to receive. This is not just true of partnerships. <laughs> this is true of every relationship and every community we are ever a part of. We give to that community what we want to get. Instead of asking the community to give us what we want to get and then giving what other people need. And what all of that requires is communication, being honest about how hard it is, being honest about how beautiful it is, being honest about what we see in others that we had never noticed before. It's a fiery ordeal, but it is a gorgeous and beautiful one. Because every person who challenges you, every person who surprises you, every person who shocks you is someone who God made and who the image of God is living inside of and who Jesus has drawn into your life and into this community. And getting to know that, getting to be open to that, getting to be changed by that is one of the greatest journeys you will ever go on. Peter says, constant love, I know it will be hard. Peter says, open your home, I know it will be hard. And through this, we know that for 2,000 years, the church has had the exact same problem, which is that living in community together is not easy. But it has also had the exact same benefit, which is that it is always worth it, and it is what God is calling us to do. And so we try. And so we try. I know this was an unusual sermon, but I hope that it helps you to see where the world is at with inclusivity and where we want to be and where God is calling us to be. And if we have questions about it, let's share them with each other. Amen? Amen. Amen.